scripture this morning is John 15, 1 to 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my Father I have made known to you. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love this time of the year? Spring is my favorite. Like some of you, I wondered if it would ever come, but I believe we're making progress. About this time of the year, my wife gets really excited. She gets excited because the weather is warming, but especially because she can go outside and work in our yard. Um, I try to feign excitement over that. I'm not very good at it. I, I'm the person who would prefer to mow the grass and spread the mulch, kind of the heavy lifter and take care of those things and let her take care of the other things like the flowers, but I'll join her in that venture from time to time. One of the things I noticed last week that she got busy with was a vine. It's a vine that's in our backyard and it runs up the trellis that's around our deck. And uh, she began to trim off the old, dead vine. Now, what you might not know is that that trellis is as tall as I am, all the way around. And the vine that she trimmed off is about this high now. It's a clematis. You know what a clematis is? It is a beautiful flowering vine. And by the time we reach July, that entire trellis all the way around our entire deck will be full of gorgeous flowers from a prolific vine. Matter of fact, our, our neighbors love to sit on their deck and look at our vine. It's, it's that beautiful. The image of the church that we're going to explore today 
is the image of the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches, speaking to his disciples. Or to make it more contemporary, Jesus says to us, I'm the vine, and you're the branches, the followers of Jesus Christ. What can we learn about this image? And first, how it was heard by those who were first listening, right? That's always an important uh, part of understanding the text. How were those first listeners hearing this image? Well, one thing to note is the first listeners were very, very familiar with the image. As a matter of fact, the image of a vine was everywhere in Palestine. Especially a vine that had grapes on it was everywhere in Palestine. You see that uh, field, that's actually not in Palestine, but that's a large field with vines in it. Notice the separation between the vines. They, of course, grow along that row on those strings that are coming up from the stakes. But the reason the vines are separated is because even though vines are prolific, they have to be maintained. Very much so. Prolific, but out of control. Prolific, prolific, but overgrown. So the vineyard owner has to make sure the vines are trimmed in such a way that they stay apart and they're fruitful. Here's another picture of a vine. I don't know why, but that image just makes me salivate. Look at that. Those beautiful clusters of grapes. That's an image that they would have seen literally every single day during the harvest. I don't walk past vines like that now, but they did. So imagine Jesus is speaking about a vine and grapes, and this is in their mind. Or this picture. Vines not only grew in long rows and were separated, but they grew over trellises. This was one of the ways to cultivate a vineyard. And you can see at the top of uh, the trellis those grapes hanging down. Here's another image of a vine. Notice that vine, it's over a doorway. It's over a window. That too was something that they would have seen routinely in first century Palestine. They would have walked down a street and seen grapevines hanging with the fruit. So Jesus says to them, I want you to know something. I am the vine. You know that vine you have in mind? That beautiful vine? I'm the vine. And you're the branches. So first, that's what they would have heard. But second, they would have heard something else. They would have heard something from their history. You know I love history. Um, history is not just facts and figures and people. It's got story in it. And I think my students get tired of hearing me make applications to history in my class. And what is a life application for this historical episode? But history is full of those kinds of things. So when these first hearers listened to Jesus speak about a vine, they not only thought of those images, but they thought of themselves. Why? Because throughout the Old Testament, Israel is called the vineyard of God. Routinely called the vineyard of God. As a matter of fact, the vineyard of God was, was demonstrated at the temple. 
So at the entrance of the temple, going up the side of the entry walls of the temple were huge clusters of grapes. Now, I don't mean real grapes. They were grapes that were fashioned out of pure gold. Josephus, a Jewish historian, says that some of those grape clusters, which were donated by very wealthy people, some of those grape clusters were the height of a man. So you can imagine how unbelievably gorgeous that huge vine of grapes made of pure gold was at the temple. Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. That image might have come to mind. To tell you something else about that historical image, when they, the city of Jerusalem was completely destroyed for the most part by the Romans in 70 A.D., and when the Romans took down all the gold off of the temple, the price of gold dropped 50% in Syria. Why? Because there was so much of it in the market. That's how much gold was in the temple. And gold was in the grapes surrounding the entrance to the temple. And it was an image for the people of Israel, of their importance to God. Now what else is true about the image of a vineyard in the Old Testament is this. Frequently the vineyard in the Old Testament is referred to when the prophets are speaking about the degeneration of Israel. They're saying the vineyard of God is going downhill. The grapes are going sour. The vine is out of control. Come back to God so the vineyard can be what it's supposed to be. That too could have been in their minds. Now the third thing to consider in trying to understand what Jesus was saying is what he was saying. So Jesus steps into this image uses his image, steps into their life, speaks about things that are all around them that are accessible to them, and speaks concerning their very personal history. And here's what he does. He says, the vine? It's not Israel. It's me. The vineyard of God? It's not a nation. It's the Messiah. The production of this lush fruit? That's not the responsibility of this particular land. The vineyard's not about land. It's about me. Jesus says, all of those images that are so important to you, all of those images that related to your personal identity as a Jewish nation, all those images were just used to set up this moment to let you know that I am the Messiah of God and that true life does not come through this land or you as a people. It comes to all people through me. Sometimes we forget how provocative Jesus was. 
Imagine him saying that in this context. He basically is saying this in the context of leaders of the entire nation around him, religious leaders. And remember, at this time, religious leaders were people of incredible authority and political power. And Jesus is displacing them and displacing the nation as it is and saying, I am the vine. How stunning would that have been? Well, no wonder Jesus made people angry. But what about the image of the vine? Not the historical part, not the image that they would have thought of in their mind, but the image that Jesus was using. Jesus said concerning the vine, I'm the vine and you're the branches, and I want to give you an invitation, disciples. I want you to bear fruit through me. Or to use another word, I want you to be in me. If you're going to be the people you're called to be, you must live in the vine. You must live in me. So in effect, it's an invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation to live in the vine. What does that invitation look like? That invitation is an invitation to a complete life. You know, there's life all around us. There's life that grows. There's life in people. There's life in relationships. There's life in family. I'm just listing a number of things that give me life. I know it's not true of everybody, but sports gives me life. I love it. Some of you have a hobby that gives you life. Family gives you life. Friends give you life. Food gives you life. There's lots of things that are full of life. But Jesus is saying, I want you to take your gaze above those things for a moment. And I want to remind you of something. That complete life, true life, abundant life, full life, rich life, use your image, is in me. You can live, but if you really want to live, you live in me. And the life I offer you in this life is the kind of life you could never, ever experience in any other form of life around you. I'm going to give you the kind of life right here, right now, that you cannot access anywhere. Why? Well, first, because it was the life you were made for. Every single one of you were made for this kind of life. And this kind of life is eternal life. It's not just something that satisfies for a moment. It's not just something that in this life gives us good feeling. It's eternal life. It gives you life forever. And this is just the beginning. And the best is yet to come. So Jesus, with this image, gives an invitation to complete life. 
Jesus also gives us an invitation to a a close relationship. In this single passage, the word abide or abiding is used ten different times in the original Greek. Ten different times. Think Jesus is trying to impart an important message? He's trying to say, I'm inviting you in not only to eternal life, but I'm inviting you into a close relationship. Notice how close the relationship between the vine and the grapes is. It's inseparable. You're attached. There's no difference between the two of you. In proximity, you're always with the vine if you're a grape and if you're going to prosper. There's something, when you think of this as a as spiritual image, there's something rather mystical about it, isn't there? Deeply spiritual. Jesus says, I want you to abide in me. Where are you, Jesus? Back with God the Father. Where are you, Jesus? I, I can't see you. Where are you, Jesus? I tried yesterday, but I couldn't hear you. Where are you, Jesus? The answer is, I'm right here. Abide in me. I want you to enter into a close relationship with me. I don't want you just to believe about me. I want you to believe in such a way that you're in me. I want you to enter into, can I say, an intimate relationship with me? By the way, the the notion of an intimate relationship with God uh, for some people could be offensive, right? It could be God is grand and glorious and sovereign and out there. Don't talk about friendship with God. I don't deserve friendship with God. He's out there and I'm down here. And to talk too intimately about God is to degrade the character and nature of God. I understand we can go overboard. I get that. But I can't agree with that. Because everything about Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. God present with you. God present with those disciples. Flesh and blood. And so when Jesus is in this world, he said, I and the Father are one. We abide in one another. I want you to abide in me like that. It's very intimate. It's very relational. So there's one group of people that might be offended by the notion because God's supposed to be out there and sovereign. There's another group of people, quite frankly, my friends, that are intimidated by the notion. Intimacy with God? First of all, how is it possible? Second of all, how does it work? Third, I don't feel like I'm there. I believe, but I don't feel like I'm there. Now, let me say something that's going to bother some of you. Go figure. Do that a lot, I know. I want to acknowledge something about relationships and life, about psychology. 
Some of you are really good with intimacy. You are. You're great with friendships. You speak intimately to and about others. There are some of you, it's not really your language, is it? I mean, intimacy is, is not as easy for you as it is for others. And that kind of language doesn't come naturally, does it? You don't have to raise your hand. I can see some of you for whom I know that is true. So, personal confession. I hope this doesn't modify our behavior, my behavior with you or you with me. But I I have to tell you something. When people get too close and they compliment me too much and they use words concerning me that are I love you kind of words, honestly, I appreciate it. But then all of a sudden I get real uncomfortable. You know, kind of like the cat that's being stroked and all of a sudden he reaches out and scratches you like that's enough. That, that's kind of me. Okay, okay, enough of that already. I get it. We love one another. Some of you, that's not your personality. You just want more. Keep on the love. Keep on the praise. I want to be close. Here's what I want to say. It's okay if you're not the intimate type. And you know what? I actually think that your personality affects how you have a relationship with God. God says, I want it to be close, a relationship that's close. But you're not that kind of person the way other people are. And sometimes you may hear people talk about Jesus and their love for Jesus and their love for God and you may be intimidated by it. Like, I I can't go there. I'm not there. It's who they are, my friends. But you can still have a close relationship with God and even be like me. So don't be intimidated by those who use language that's so intimate that it makes you feel like you're coming up short. I'm not a real Christian. If I really was, I'd talk like them. No, no, no. They're different than you. You can still have a very close personal relationship with Jesus. And you're invited into that. I want to give you an analogy I'm good on time, so don't anybody look at me like that. It's only 20, <laughs> 25 minutes after the hour. I want to give you an analogy of abiding, okay? And it's not an analogy of what you might consider to be deep intimacy. But it is an analogy about a close relationship. Let's assume for a moment that you are an alcoholic. And let's assume for a moment that the demon of alcoholism has got you by the throat. And you finally come to the conclusion, I got to have help 
or I'm going to die. And then, through Alcoholics Anonymous or some other organization that understands these issues, you come into relationship with what I'll call a mentor. And you realize, and you own the fact that you cannot live unless you have this tight relationship with this individual who knows you and loves you for who you are and actually speaks into your life when you don't want to hear it. And you realize it's life for you. That's why you never miss a meeting with him. That's why you never neglect being around her. Because in that relationship, you find life. That might not sound touchy-feely. But apply it to this notion of a close relationship. And see if it might be helpful. To abide in Christ, to have a close relationship with Jesus, means you realize you can't live without Him. What does that look like? Prayer, scripture reading, worship, service to others. You can't live without it. So Jesus invites us into a complete life. That's his invitation. He gives us an invitation to a close relationship. And then he gives us an invitation to a life of joy. I want you, Jesus says, to make my joy complete. I want to find joy in you because you have found joy in God. I want you to have joy. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It's a sad reality, you know it is, that a lot of people look at Christians and think morose, grumpy, condemning folks. Now, I know that people can look at us and think certain things that are not true. But the question might be, do we give them reason to think it might be true? Or do we give them reason to believe that that person is full of joy? That person is overflowing with an abundance that I don't have. That person, that person has something that I want. It's called joy. I want your joy to be like mine. And my joy is united with the Father, says Jesus. I want you to have abundant joy and abundant life. I want it to flow out of you. Now, before you rush to a conclusion that's a judgment of your own character, don't say to yourself, you ought to be more joyful. Get on it. That's not going to work. 
It won't work. You need to focus on how good God is. You need to focus on the forgiveness of sins that come through Jesus Christ. And as you focus on those things, talk about an artesian well. It's going to come bubbling up. If Jesus is who he says he is and he's done for us what he says he's done, there should be nothing but joy in our lives. There's a a fourth thing uh, that Jesus invites us into. He invites us into a life of love. He says this is what it's all about. As a matter of fact, this is how people are going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. I love the Father. You ought to love me like I love the Father. We ought to be full of love. I don't know what to say about that other than to refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul writes probably his most famous prose. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm nothing. I could even, Paul says, bestow all my goods to feed the poor. But if I don't have love, I'm I'm nothing. Without love, I'm like a clanging gong. But God invites us through Jesus Christ to an invitation that is full of love. As I have loved you, you love one another. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I love you so much that I hung on the cross in your place. That's love. There's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's my love for you. I'm inviting you into a relationship of that kind of love. The fifth thing is Jesus is inviting us into a friendship. You notice at the end of the passage, Jesus says you're no longer slaves. Now, he doesn't mean don't use the word. Paul uses it other places. It's used in the Old Testament. It has a profound meaning. It means to be a servant of God. We don't want to throw it away. But Jesus is saying, I want you to understand the difference between slavery. You know it well, my friends. You're in the Roman Empire. Slavery in this world, I want you to think about it for a moment. A slave doesn't know his master's business. A slave just does things. A slave just takes orders. A slave just follows commands. I don't want that kind of relationship with you. I'm inviting you into another kind of relationship that's not based on commands alone. It's based on a life of love. I want you to enter into an amazing friendship with me. That's what I call you now. I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. Many years ago, my father, um, who did many things, pastored and was the president of a college, he also led the singing at a, at a church. It was, it was large and boisterous when they sang. 
I mean, the people I grew up with, man, they knew how to sing. And my dad used to lead the singing. And one of his favorite songs he loved to sing was, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a beautiful song. On one occasion, after leading that song and exhorting people to enter into this, um, a lady came up to him after church and said, uh, Mr. Whitaker, God is the God of the universe. He is out there, he's big, he's sovereign. And I think your comments about that hymn, they just demean the sovereignty and the exalted nature of God. I just don't like to call God my friend. Now, I don't want to indict this person's faith, because I don't even know her. I just heard this story as a kid from my dad. But I know my dad, and I knew his response because he told me. And my dad, unlike me, was always gracious. Uh, He could tell you anything, and you thought you were receiving a gift. That was just dad. And he said to her, my dear sister, I appreciate your confidence in the sovereignty of God. But I can't deny the fact that the Bible says Jesus is my friend. And he said, so for that reason, I'll lead the song again. And I'll probably sing it with even more gusto because I believe it. Jesus is my friend. In the person of Jesus Christ, you're invited into that kind of friendship. Because we've heard it so many times, it could become common. But think about it. It's not. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. Here's my my conclusion. How, How does all that sound to you? Maybe you're intrigued by the idea, but you're just not there yet. I want to say something that's probably a little controversial to some of you. Here's what I want to say. That's okay. Just wait. Just hang around Jesus a little bit more. It's okay if you're not ready yet. He'll keep giving you the invitation. Second thing, it seems like probably there's people there who say, you know, my heart has been stirred by this. Strangely warmed. As John Wesley might say. If that's true, then I have a different suggestion. If your heart is stirred by this, don't wait. 
Now is the time to take the next step. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Now is the time. Maybe you've known Jesus and you grew up in the church all your life, but this, this idea, oh my, it just stirs your heart. He stands ready to help you take the next step. But I think it needs to be a deliberate next step. A prayer. A statement. An acceptance of the invitation. Maybe you're a person who says, I know all of this. Bob, you haven't told me anything new. I don't usually. I've heard the story over and over again. I get it. I have faith. But this thing called an intimate relationship with Jesus, it just seems like it's way out there. It's, it's, it's far away. Well, it, it's time then, if you have that kind of faith, to make, take the next step. Time to launch out. It's time to say, I don't know what it means. I know I'm different than other people. But Lord, give me that kind of relationship with you. I want to be there. Whatever that means. Can you imagine asking Jesus and him saying no? He gave the invitation. Here's the last thing I want to say. If your heart's stirred, don't leave without a commitment. And no matter what you're thinking, where you are, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. I'm always up here for that reason. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, you are out there. <laughs> You're sovereign. You're beyond our comprehension. And we can't even imagine you. But in Jesus Christ, we were given a glimpse of you. And by the grace that was given to those who were first your disciples, Lord, you gave that image to us. And today we, we look at just a portion of that message. And we ask you that you would make it real in our hearts by faith. That you will restore our faith if it's, if it's waning. That you will give us faith if we don't have it. And that you will allow us to take the next step wherever we are. Because we know that a loving God who sent Jesus Christ is the kind of God that wants to be there and invite us to take that next step of faith with him. We thank you for the invitation, and we thank you for the promise that you will be with us. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.